This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. It's the most common cancer in women, and chances are you or someone you know has been personally affected by breast cancer. Research shows it's also impacting younger people. The rate of cancer diagnoses rose in adults in their 30s from 2010 to 2019, but there is hope. Promising news on the medical front with new ways to combat this disease. I asked how many had a recurrence, and the answer was zero and what we can do to reduce our chances of hearing that dreaded news. The other misconception, and I am going to have some people who are really disappointed to hear this, but I'm going to share it anyway. We're talking prevention and early detection. It's all straight ahead on Prescription for Life. Welcome to Prescription for Life. I'm Monica Robbins. Thank you so much for joining us. We have long known the earlier breast cancer is detected, the higher the rate for survival. When breast cancer is detected early and is in the localized stage, the five-year survival rate is 99%. That's according to the American Cancer Society. That's why early detection is so important, and that includes doing monthly breast self-exams and scheduling regular clinical breast exams and mammograms. We'll talk with our expert about new guidelines to help with detection. She'll also squash some common myths. But first, two Ohio women share a common bond, a breast cancer diagnosis, and their mission is to help others. Our Columbus, Ohio station, WBNS, brings us their story. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive. Two women who admit they couldn't be more different share a special bond. They found strength in each other while facing their own mortality. I'm Elisa DeMeo. I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer in 2020 at the age of 24. I'm Bess Higgins and I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer in 2021 at the age of 32. Breast cancer brought them together, and the fact that more and more younger women like them are getting diagnosed has fueled a lot of the passion and purpose behind what they do. I don't like statistics because they, they freak us out sometimes, but I think one that holds very true and is very telling is that within the last five years, the women that have been diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40 has doubled. That's highly concerning. Which is why they created the nonprofit Thriving Beyond Breast Cancer. It's become their mission to provide community, financial assistance, and mental health support for people under 40 diagnosed with breast cancer. We can't cure cancer. We never thought we could. But what we can do is provide emergency care to other folks who need it. Um, and luckily, we didn't. And we feel obligated to help people that don't have what we had. Elisa and Beth also host a podcast together. Welcome to the Thriving Beyond Breast Cancer podcast. They Beth, share their lives with their um, listeners and no topic is off limits. It's just, yeah, it's just so hard. And, it, and we got to talk about that, you know? It is very raw. Um, and we, we keep it very raw for a reason because um, our community needs that. You know, we need to be talking about how difficult it is to have sex after diagnosis and 
how high your anxiety is or how low your depressive state is after diagnosis. Although Elisa discovered her cancer early on during a self-breast exam, Bess was not so fortunate. Hearing that I had stage 3 cancer, like immediately I thought that meant death. A study published in the medical journal JAMA showed the rate of late-stage breast cancer in younger women has been climbing. I think that that's one of the, the really big takeaways here is that if you are a young person, you should be doing self-breast exams because if you're not doing them regularly, you could end up with late-stage cancer. Um, I was really lucky that I caught it like right before it turned terminal. Some signs of breast cancer include a lump in the breast or armpit, a change in skin like redness or dimpling, a change in the size or contour of a breast or nipple, or nipple discharge that's not milky. And all of those things can be caused by things that are not breast cancer, but all of those are worrisome enough that you need to get them evaluated by a doctor, even if you've had a normal mammogram. While breast cancer is the second most common cancer among women in the U.S., the CDC says black women are 40% more likely to die from it than white women. WOI in Iowa takes a look at some of the factors contributing to this racial disparity. Cheryl Leverett still remembers the day so clearly. I found a lump in my breast on my own and you know, you don't really want to believe that it is. So I asked my husband, tell me if you feel anything. I didn't tell him which breast or anything, and he felt the same lump. That was in 2012, just a few days after her 47th birthday. Cheryl was later diagnosed with breast cancer. So I was really concerned about my family um, living without me. Two weeks after her diagnosis, Cheryl's family got more devastating news. Her younger sister, Valerie, also got breast cancer. Just three months later, Valerie died at just 43 years old. At her funeral, I went bald-headed. And I was like, you know what, I'm not going to be ashamed. You know, I'm going to go. This is kind of like a salute to her, just to let her know that I'm going to fight. I'm going to continue to fight. I'm fighting for you, me, and anybody else that this disease touches. Finding strength through pain, Cheryl went through chemotherapy and sought support. Well, I went to a lot of different events for cancer and a lot of times I was the only black person there. And that made me sad because I said, I know there's somebody else that's going through this same battle. Dr. Susan Beck with Mercy One Katzman Breast Care says many barriers exist between black women and proper care. She believes that's leading to higher rates of death from breast cancer. There are a lot of places uh, that don't have quick or easy access for mammography. There may be insurance issues. Sometimes it's that. Um, sometimes it's perceived as well. Sometimes it's just scary. There is a barrier of uh, mistrust and fear. Beck says providers can do more to close the gap, like connecting with black women leaders in the community. A good way to do that is through organizations like Black Women for Healthy Living. Cheryl is a part of that group and has shared her journey through their work. We continue to fight and I do a lot of stuff to kind of let people know. The sad part is sometimes Black Americans, they don't talk about it. They don't get the care they need. She hopes in sharing her story, other lives can be saved. I've lost my sister to this. I don't want anybody else to die or to lose a family member to it. And so if I can help save one, I, I feel like I've done my job.
For more information on prevention, screenings, and what's next in the fight against breast cancer, let's turn to our Cleveland Clinic expert. Joining me now is Dr. Tiffany Onger, a medical oncologist at Cleveland Clinic specializing in breast cancer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So here's one of the things that we're seeing a lot of, and I'm wondering if you can share any insight in this, but why are so many women under 50 getting diagnosed? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And we're seeing this not only in breast cancer, but in other diseases as well. I think colon cancer has recently had a lot of media attention around this with some recent celebrities being diagnosed. And um, we are trying to better understand why this is happening. Part of it might be more detection and awareness. Women are becoming more aware of their breasts. They know that if something is abnormal, if they feel a lump or see some changes in their nipple or the skin that they they should be talking to their healthcare provider about this. But we, we also wonder if there might be some environmental things that might be contributing and even possibly some um, viruses that we were exposed to um, years ago that are now kind of increasing the risk. So this is one of the thoughts about colon cancer as well. So we are still trying to better understand that, but I think that some of the recent adjustments in the screening recommendations are taking that into consideration. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about these screening recommendations because they get, it, it's like every couple of years, something changes. Bottom line, who needs to get screened and when? Great question. So we, the adjustments have really recommended earlier screening. So we're saying that we should consider screening for women for breast cancer starting at age 40 starting at age 40. So that's the latest that we might wanna be thinking about it, not the earliest. Some people are like, okay, I'm just gonna wait until I'm 40. Um, some women might actually be need, need to be screened sooner than that. And so we say really at the latest that you should be considering this is age 40 for the general population. But if I have a family history? Good. Yep. Excellent point. Um, some women will need to be screened sooner. That can be based upon things such as family history. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why it's important to know your family history. I know for in particular for black communities, sometimes it can be a little bit taboo um, asking how did grandma die? That's just kind of considered rude in some populations. Um, but it's really important to understand the personal um, and family history so that we can so that your doctors can risk stratify you and make a recommendations. Another population that might qualify for earlier screening is based upon genetic mutations, which you wouldn't even know about unless you got tested. So that would be another reason why someone might get screened earlier or with different modalities um, in addition to the regular screening mammogram. We heard a lot about dense breasts being an issue and, and I know I've had a number of women call me because they get the call back um, after their very first mammogram and it's panic time. Yes. Can you explain to women who may have denser breasts, which are typically younger women, yep. um, what they need to keep in mind and what's, what's the difference? What it, why does it matter the density of the breast? Yeah, so dense breasts are a radiographic finding or a finding based upon the imaging of the breast that the radiologist can designate. And it basically means like when we're looking at the breast, the breast can have more glandular tissue or it can have more fatty tissue. Now this is one place where, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed if you have fatty breasts, that's just fine. Um, fatty breasts are a little bit easier to be seen um, on a lot of our standard imaging. 
dense breasts mean that the radiologist, when they look at the breast, it looks more white. And when we're looking for abnormalities that might be cancer, those also look white on these black and white images. And so it can be a little bit more difficult to discern whether there's cancer there or not. For some of the um, newer recommendations and even some of the legislation has been really supportive of women being able to ask for a screening mammogram with tomography. We call this a 3D mammogram versus our conventional 2D mammogram. Um, there's mammograms ba are basically taking kind of an x-ray of the breast, um, and so it's really low dose radiation. And the 3D mammogram takes maybe another 20 or 30 seconds, you know, to the overall um, experience of, of screening. And so I really recommend that women, when they're getting ready to get their first mammogram, starting at age 40 for their annual mammogram, um, that they ask about tomography or the 3D mammogram so that those, um, for women who have dense breasts, they can really see um, what's going on and be able to come to an accurate diagnosis. When would MRIs and ultrasound come into play? Ultrasounds typically are more of a follow-up um, follow test after there has been an abnormality in the breast based upon the mammogram. MRIs are something that are used in the screening population for really high-risk patients. And again, that goes back to women who either have a strong family history or who have a genetic mutation. Those are kind of the two largest populations that require the MRI in addition. So there has been a lot of changes relating to breast cancer and treatment. Yes. So what are you most excited about? Boy, it's, it's hard to pinpoint just one thing, um, but I think one of the things I'm most excited about is immunotherapy. Immunotherapy is a form of treatment that, um, that really activates the immune system to more efficiently fight cancers. Now, all of us have white blood cells in our body, and those white blood cells, in addition to fighting things like uh, viruses and bacterias, they also fight cancers. So all of us have natural cancer-fighting white blood cells in our bodies. Immunotherapy helps to really activate and, and re-energize those white blood cells to more efficiently identify and destroy cancer cells within the body. So um, that's why we call it immunotherapy because you're using your own immune system to fight cancers. This is something that has been used in some other cancers for quite some time. It's a, it's a little bit newer for breast cancer. Um, we're currently using it really in the um, metastatic standpoint for uh, for triple negative patients and those patients who have specific mutations that show that immunotherapy could be helpful. But we're also using it for early stage triple negative breast cancers, especially if there's a lymph node involved or if it's a little bit of a larger mass. So what else is on the horizon that you're either now using or you're, you can't wait to be approved? Yes, so we are, there's two that, um, two that I would like to talk about. One of them is called Sassituzumab. It's a medicine that is, we call it antibody drug conjugate. And so it kind of combines this targeted treatment with the chemotherapy. And for many patients, it has been found to be more effective than conventional chemotherapy. It's not appropriate for every metastatic breast cancer patient, but currently is indicated for 
um, a good portion of metastatic breast cancer patients. So I encourage folks to ask about that. The other thing that I'm really excited about um, in terms of not yet approved, but we're testing is the triple negative vaccine. Um, my, some of our colleagues over at the Cleveland Clinic, including Dr. Tom Budd, are um, intimately involved with developing this vaccine, which is really great for, especially for a triple negative population, because currently they don't have kind of a long-term maintenance medicine to prevent the cancer from coming back which is different from our hormone positive patients. Those patients typically will be on some type of suppressive medicine like tamoxifen or um, one of the aromatase inhibitors. But triple negative patients don't have any medicine like that. So we're really excited about the uh, triple negative vaccine. In my understanding from the 16 patients who are in the first phase, all of them are showing some immune response? Yes, it's been really encouraging. Um, it's hard to uh, to be patient sometimes because <laughs> they're like, oh boy, you know, when you start to see um, good results, you want to expand it to everyone. But we are very thoughtful about making sure that we do everything carefully and thoughtfully. And so we are really, certainly really encouraged by the initial findings and, and hope that those will continue. And you're now recruiting for uh, women who may be at risk for HER2 negative yes. or triple negative? Yes. Um, so how does that work? How do you know if you're potentially at risk for that type of cancer? So there's, there's a number of ways that we assess risk. And when we are trying to recruit for different trials, um, we want to make sure that people really meet strict, strict criteria. Um, really in the general population, anyone can be at risk for triple negative breast cancer. And we do know that it does uh, affect some populations a little bit more than other populations. So black patients in particular are more likely to develop triple negative breast cancers. And so I think as we're um, considering equitable care and improving the quality of care for all, but especially our patients who have had um, less success with the current conventional treatments, um, that it's really encouraging to see that this, this might really help those populations. I would be remiss if I did not mention men to get breast cancer. They most certainly do. So what do we want men to know? We want men to know some of the same things that we want women to know. Know what your body feels like. Um, know what's normal for you, what's abnormal for you. If there's anything that sticks around that's abnormal for two weeks, um, you should definitely be talking to your doctor about it. Some people um, have a little, a few misconceptions about breast cancer, think it's only this or only that. If, if you notice any changes in your breast, bring them, bring the, your concerns to your doctor's attention so that they can um, pursue the appropriate testing. That might be imaging, and many times if there's something that's found abnormal, it's followed up with a biopsy, and many changes are not cancer, but sometimes they are, and so it's important to investigate. Do you find that men are just like, oh, maybe it'll just go away more so <laughs> than women? Um, I think that there can be a certain amount of denial for both men and women. <laughs> so I think that, um, I think ultimately we want people to feel empowered to talk to their family members. Sometimes it's it's as simple as just bringing it to your spouse or bringing it to um, whoever is close to you and your family or your friends and just say, hey, do you, do you think this is something that should get checked out? A lot of times the answer is yes, that is something that should get checked out and that person can help advocate for you when you go to your doctor's office and um, 
just to make sure that you get the, the best care. Does family history play a bigger role in men who get breast cancer compared to women? Family history, it does play an important role in particular because men who have breast cancer have a higher likelihood of having a genetic predisposition towards that. And so whenever there's a family history with anyone uh, with a male with breast cancer, we want to be sure to offer genetic testing and genetic counseling to better understand what might be the cause of that. There are gonna be patients, including men, who have breast cancer and we don't identify a particular cause. In general, we say the, the likelihood of identifying a uh, genetic mutation is probably about five to 10% um, in the general community. But based upon things like family history, other cancers, and not just breast cancer, but knowing about all different types of cancers within the body, those can even be related to one mutation. One mutation can cause different types of cancers. Um, but even ethnicity, for example, we know that uh, Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry is associated with a higher risk for a BRCA mutations. And we say about one in 40 are going to be affected. And so um, knowing all of that information can help predict whether, um, whether there should be earlier screening or different types of screening based upon personal risks. Still misconceptions, still myth out there. Yes. Um, what, what are the ones that just send you climbing up walls because <laughs> you, you wish you know, this needs to stop and, and go away? Yes, yeah, so I think there's a couple that I get in my office pretty regularly. Um, so one of them is actually about sugar. Sugar has been in the media quite a bit about um, with regards to its relationship with uh, cancer, cancer growth. And so uh, sometimes people are coming to my office, and they're asking me, doc, you know, do I need to be sugar-free? Do I need to be keto? And while ketogenic diets have been found to be effective for some, uh, some types of um, treatments, medical conditions, it has not been shown definitively to be helpful for breast cancer. I like to remind my patients that all of your cells re require sugar to function normally, um, including your brain, your heart, your muscles. Uh, and so, you know, cancer cells are still cells and so it can use sugar, but it also uses many other things to grow. And when I'm thinking about my cancer patients, I want them to think holistically about their whole body because I don't have good data in terms of the literature out there to say that it's really important to be on a strict ketogenic diet. I say, enjoy a cookie from time to time, um, but all things in moderation. Plenty of fruits and vegetables, low saturated fats um, would really be the best diet. What's the other myth or misconception? The other misconception, and I am going to have some people who are really disappointed to hear this, but I'm going to share it anyway, is about alcohol. So alcohol, um, I feel like through the years, there have been some um, things that alcohol might have been thought to be supportive of and health promoting. But when it comes to breast cancer, unfortunately, there is no low um, amount of alcohol that does not raise the risk. So even just one glass a day, can increase the risk for breast cancer, at least modestly. And if you're moving to two or three drinks a day, that increases your risk more. So I generally say less is best, less is best. Um, but I, I always go back to that moderation aspect because at the end of the day, we, want, we all wanna have a great quality of life. Um, and um, you know, sometimes having a mimosa or a glass of wine with your family, it's a part of that. How many times do women challenge you and say, but what about red wine? Red wine is healthy. 
you know, why can't I have that? Yes, and these are some of the, um, these are some of the people who enjoy their red wine quite regularly. And at the end of the day, I say, you know, I, I view myself as someone who can share information with you to help you make the best decision with regards to um, your overall health and with regards to your personal values. If enjoying a glass of red wine with your family or, um, you know, if, if that's part of what you do, then I say, I want you to live a life that's meaningful to you. Um, but just acknowledge the risk. There's risk for all of us. There's risk when we walk outside or ride in a car or take an airplane. There's risk for everything. But we just need to know what those risks are and make sure that we're willing to accept those risks. All right. Dr. Onger, thank you so much. Great insight. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a wonderful opportunity. Dr. Unger mentioned some of the treatments she's excited about, and one of those is the breast cancer vaccine. Earlier this year, I spoke with the very first patient to receive this vaccine. At age 41, Jennifer Davis learned she had a very dangerous type of breast cancer, triple negative, the kind that few treatments work against. The married mother of three and nurse went through chemo, a double mastectomy, and radiation, but she knew she was still at risk. Every time I woke up and you know, I slept on my arm wrong. I automatically thought it came back. In the fall of 2021, she learned she qualified for an experimental vaccine targeting her type of breast cancer. She would be among the first humans to try the vaccine. She asked if any of the lab animals reacted badly to the shot. The answer was the same as her second question. I asked how many had a recurrence and the answer was zero. And I don't think that you really ever see that in research ever. <laughs> Jennifer is one of 13 patients who've received the vaccine. All three kids will start getting tested 10 years prior to my onset. So it's the, at the age of 31, they will all, you know, be screened and closely followed. Three shots, two weeks apart, 18 months ago, and her cancer is still in remission. She hopes it's the same for others. And the possibilities that 12 to 15 to 20% of triple negative could just not be anymore would just be amazing. The breast cancer vaccine study at Cleveland Clinic is showing great promise, and now they're expanding the study and looking for participants who may be at risk for developing triple negative breast cancer. That's all for this episode of Prescription for Life. Thank you so much for watching. I'll bring you another dose next week. Until then, I'm Monica Robbins wishing you and yours good health. Thank you so much for tuning into Health Yeah. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Find video podcasts at Monica Robbins channel on YouTube. And please subscribe. Wishing you great health and hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.